to the psalm. Today we're going to read Psalm 66. Psalm 66 is, for the uh, director of music, a song, a psalm. And here David says, Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing the praises of your name. Come and see what God has done, his awesome deeds for mankind. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in him. He rules forever by his power. His eyes watch the nations. Let not the rebellious rise up against him. Praise our God, all peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you. Vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. I will sacrifice fat animals to you and an offering of rams. I will offer bulls and goats. Come and hear all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. Now, we in the church, we don't offer rams and bulls or all that as sacrifices, but we do offer a sacrifice of praise, which is what the Word tells us to do. And you see David do that over and over in this, in this psalm that we just read. So we've come here to worship the Lord. We've come here to remember the things that God has done for us. You know, how many of us have been in a time of trouble and we've called out to God and said, Oh, God, do this for me, and then I'll, I'll bless you. Well, we need to keep that vow that we made to God. That's what David is talking about. I was... I made a vow to you when I was in trouble, and now that I'm out of trouble, it's time for me to pay that vow. It's time for all of us to pay that vow. That vow is we've come to bless the Lord, to praise the Lord, the one who deserves all of our praise. Let's do that today, but first let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together. Yeah. 
songs just reminded me of when, sorry, we were in Florida and we got separated from Deja. <laughs> sorry. And it just reminds me of if you ever lost your kid in the store, how important they are that they're with you. And for all my kids, I want them to serve, to be with us and to serve the Lord. And it just impresses upon me that we can't afford to be without Jesus. Um, and it's just, I know it, it's not the exact representation, but we can't afford to be without Jesus. If you don't know him or you are feeling like you're straying from him, think of having your kid and then walking away from you or losing them in a place that you know you're in the same building even. It's it's. I can't even describe it, but we can't afford to be without him. Now is the time in the service for communion. If you're a baptized believer in Christ, then we invite you to join in the breaking of bread with us. Today I want to look at Hebrews 9, 18 through 22, and the words will be on the screen. The word of God says, Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law. He took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled the blood both he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding, the shedding of blood, there is no remission. We are told we must examine ourselves and make sure our lines up, lives line up with the word of God before we partake of communion. This doesn't mean we have to be sinless to be ready to partake of communion. It means that we have to be cleansed of our sins. We must examine ourselves according to the scriptures and see where we fall short. We must repent and ask him to forgive us. Then we will be ready. In the last line I read, without blood, there is no remission. The blood is represented by the juice. By drinking it, we are receiving remission for the forgiveness of the sins that, we, that have caused us to deviate from the narrow road. 
by eating the wafer, which represents Christ's body, we are sealing God's covenant with us that through Christ, if we repent and turn from our sins and seek forgiveness, he is faithful and just to forgive us. This is why a communion is an important act of worship. Before we do it, let's pray. Father God, thank you for bringing us here today. As we start to partake of communion, help us to examine ourselves. And if we've fallen short of your laws, then show us and forgive us. Search us, Lord, and reveal anything that we may need to repent for. Help us to remember and never let us forget the importance of communion that we're about to take. Bless this communion and now allow us to enter a, de- a deeper relationship with you. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.
Good morning. Now is the time for announcements. Um, we'll start off with Matthew 25 Ministries. We're always collecting empty pill bottle donations for them. They use them for um, lots of shipments of medical supplies and sometimes to recycle them. So you don't have to have um, all the parts and pieces, but we will take them. Used ink cartridges, um, you can bring them in to reduce office supplies here at the church. There are bins for both of those out in the foyer underneath the TV. Food pantry closed closet every Thursday, 5 to 7 p.m. Um, here's a list of most frequently needed items. You can drop off donations at that same day and time also uh, or Sunday after church. Refit uh, free dance fitness class here on Tuesdays and Thursdays, 6.30 to 7.30 in the sanctuary. If you have questions, you can reach out to Kristen Nay. Mellon Ridge Nursing Home Church Ministry is the fourth Sunday of every month at 2 p.m. Um, currently, we don't have a sign-up at the welcome table because we have church cleanup next Sunday, so we are skipping the month of September, but they are most definitely looking forward to seeing us back in October. They have sent a letter to the church saying how much they really appreciate um, the church coming over and sharing God's word with them. Breakfast is better when we eat together. Breakfast Fellowship is the first Sunday of every month at 930 if you'd like to contribute, um, talk to Carol, or if you just want to come and eat and hang out and get to know some new people, we'll see you the first Sunday of every month at 9.30. Empty Nesters Bible Study, um, reading through the book of 10 Words to Live By, Thursdays at 10 a.m. at Ruth Liming's home. Next Sunday is September 25th. Immediately following the service, we will have a light lunch, and then we have a church cleanup day. Um, there is a sign-up on the back welcome table if you would like to stay and take part in that, and that way I know how much food to order as well. Area Christian Women's Fellowship Dinner is Thursday, October 20th at 6.30. It's hosted by Felicity Christian Church. Um, it is $15 for the pasta dinner. Um, paid reservations need to be made, by, um, made to Sharon Ponchot by October the 2nd. Oh, sorry, there are flyers on the welcome table. So if you are a lady and you want to go to that, they've been really great, these dinners. They usually have one in the spring and the fall, but with COVID, they've put them off. But they've been um, still preparing to have one, so we're looking forward to a great Thursday, October 20th. Tithes and offerings can be given in person or online. Here is the weekly budget that is needed and some ministries that you support through your giving here at Heartland. A couple other things. If you are new here, um, on the welcome table, that's the best place to look for anything. Um, there is a welcome guest information form, so fill that out for us, and you can put it in the offering box. And you'll find these red flyers as well um, for the 2022 Goshen Homecoming Parade that we usually take part in. Um, if you would like to donate candy, that is great. If you want to come and help decorate the trailer or ride on the trailer or walk next to the trailer, we would love to have you. This has all the information on it. Um, there is a time discrepancy right now, so I'll get back to you on that. But it is September the 30th. It's a Friday night right before the game. So we'd love to just show the community who we are and um, just love on them and throw some candy at them. All right, so today we're going to continue in our series in Colossians. Uh, hopefully you're still reading Colossians. I got asked you to do maybe three or four weeks ago. I don't know what it was, but when we started this series... I talked about reading through Colossians, reading through uh, Ephesians, reading those together. Uh, because these, these two letters, I think, are very uh, indicative of what Paul thought the true gospel was. I know a lot of people go to Romans, but in, this, in these two uh, letters, we see 
especially what Paul said about the Gentiles and how uh, being in Christ and Christ coming has changed everything in the world. So just continue to read through those letters. You'll see a ton of stuff. We're going to keep talking about these things. And uh, you're going to see we're going to talk about different, uh, different themes over and over again as we continue in these letters. So today we're going to be in Colossians. Let's turn together in our Bibles, Colossians 1, and we're going to read verses 24 through 29. Colossians 1, 24 through 29, and when you get there, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Now, the title of today's teaching is The Most Marvelous Mystery. In Colossians 1, 24 through 29, the Scriptures say, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of His body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been hidden, kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. You may be seated. Now, when you hear the word mystery, what do you think about? Sherlock Holmes? Perry Mason? Agatha Christie? Scooby-Doo? So maybe you think about (laughs) unsolved crimes or... Something that's impossible to understand or explain. Well, in biblical usage, a mystery is something that was once hidden, but is now revealed. And in today's passage, Paul talks about the most marvelous mystery that has ever been revealed to humanity. It's the mystery of what God has planned for humanity in Christ. Today, we're going to talk about that mystery, and we're going to see what that means for us and how it applies to our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, for the freedom we have in this country to gather together and study your word together. Lord, Jesus said that your word is truth and that you would make us holy through your truth. So we ask you to do what Jesus said you would do. Help us not only hear your word, but help us to put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. Now notice Paul starts Colossians 1.24 with a theme we see repeated over and over in the scriptures. Paul says, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, Paul wrote this letter from prison, and in Colossians 4, 3, Paul tells us why he was in prison. He says, and pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. So Paul was in prison because of the message he proclaimed about the mystery of Christ. And Paul sees his imprisonment as a form of suffering that was added to Christ's afflictions for the sake of Christ's body, which is the church. Now, Paul's not saying that Christ's afflictions were not complete or that Christ's suffering for us wasn't somehow, wasn't effective for our salvation. What Paul's saying here is Christ has now passed the baton of suffering and affliction to those who become a part of his body. In other words, Jesus ran his race. Jesus carried his cross all the way to the finish line. 
And he left all of his people an example to follow. As Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 20 through 21, if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. The Lord Jesus suffered for doing good and his suffering was for the sake of others, for the sake of his body, which is the church. And as we answer the call of Jesus to be his disciple, and we take up our own cross to follow him, and as we lift up our gaze to look down the narrow road that leads to life, well, we'll see the blood-stained footprints of our suffering Savior. And we'll hear his sobering words in Luke 9, 23 through 24, ringing in our ears. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. The call to follow Jesus is a call to suffer affliction like Jesus. And we will suffer as part of Christ's body for the sake of others. But in our self-indulgent society, we don't like to talk about that. And we seem to be scared to mention the sufferings that Jesus promised those who become a part of his church. Why is this? Well, it's because we think that, the mess, that speaking about a message of suffering will turn pleasure-seeking people away from the church. And the church has been doing this for years, or people who claim to be a part of the church have been doing this for years, not really telling people the full extent of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But we need to tell the truth. We need to make sure that people know what they're signing up for when they decide to become a member of Christ's body, when they decide to become a follower of Jesus. And those who are seeking the most pleasure possible in this life will not find that in the church. If that's what you're looking for, then you need to look elsewhere. Because the truth is, the call to be a part of Christ's body in the church is a call to carry a cross. It's a call to make a daily decision to deny ourselves and embrace suffering for the sake of Christ and his body. And that suffering will come to us through the afflictions we endure as we live like Christ in a world that hates Christ, in a world that hates Jesus, as we live as light in a world that hates the light. But here's a surprising way that we suffer affliction. Another thing that Paul talks about, a way we suffer affliction as a part of Christ's body, is in the ministry for which God has gifted each of us to serve the body of Christ. And this is what Paul's talking about in Colossians 1.29 when he says, To this end, I strenuously contend. But Paul strenuously contended in his ministry, in his service for Christ's body. He did that through preaching, teaching, planning churches, prayer, all these different things that Paul was gifted to do. Now, the Greek word behind the word strenuously is a very strong word. It means to engage in labor until you are extremely exhausted. And it carries the idea that the labor involves suffering. The Greek word behind the word contending is the word agonizome. And you can tell from the way that this word sounds is where we get the English word agonizing. And the picture here is of an athlete agonizing as they struggle and strain every muscle as they stretch out to cross the finish line and win a race. This is what God calls each and every one of us to do with the gifts he gives us to serve others. We're to labor to the point of exhaustion. We're to strain and stretch ourselves to serve others 
in the body of Christ. You're living, in, living as a part of and serving the body of Christ is not easy. Life in the church is not for softies or slackers. It's not for the half-hearted or casually committed. Life in the church takes self-discipline and self-denial. Life in the church involves substantial struggle, intense effort, and fierce fighting as we strenuously contend daily to serve the body of Christ. And that's true for each and every one of us, everyone who is a member of the body of Christ. But it's especially true for leaders in the church. The church leaders are supposed to be, are supposed to live like soldiers, soldiers who are positioned on the front line and who daily do battle for our souls and the souls of God's people. Paul reminds Timothy this in uh, 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 4. Paul says, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Our job as church leaders is to live every day as soldiers of Christ Jesus. And as we live as soldiers of Christ Jesus, we are the example for the church to follow. But I'm afraid that Satan has done a great job of distracting the leaders of the church. There's a constant barrage of temptations and distraction pulling church leaders away from our primary purpose. Instead of staying focused on the kingdom of God, instead of dedicating ourselves to strenuously contending for God's people through prayer and the ministry of the word, well, we get entangled in civilian affairs. Do we get caught up contending for the kingdoms and concerns of this world? But leaders in the church need to have laser-focused intensity to accomplish our, miss- our mission for our master. And to help us do that, well, let's make sure our goal for ministry is the same as God's goal for ministry. And Paul tells us God's goal for ministry at the end of Colossians 1.28. He says, Christ is the one we proclaim, admonishing, which that word means warning, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. People often ask me, what is your vision for the church? That's, been a, that's a popular thing today. You get a, a pastor or whatever. What's the pastor's vision? Well, the pastor's vision, everybody's vision, ought to be the same for the church, right? It should be God's vision or God's goal for the church. And we don't have to guess what that is because Paul just told us. See, God's goal for every member of the church is that we become mature in Christ. And what this means is God wants every member of the church to be completely Christ-like. Christ-like in our thoughts, Christ-like in our words and in our deeds. And the role of church leaders is to help God's people reach the goal of complete Christ-likeness. That is our only role. There's nothing else that church leaders are supposed to do. We're here to help you all become Christ-like. So we've got to be sure that everything we do in the church leads us toward accomplishing that goal. In Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, Paul says this is the reason Christ gave certain gifted people to the church. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
So the role of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, the role of leadership in the church is to teach the true faith to God's people with the goal that everyone will become mature in Christ, completely Christ-like, fully conformed to Christ's image. And that's what Paul constantly and strenuously contended for as he served Christ's body. And we who are leaders in the church should do the same. But let's be sure that we understand this. Any striving that we do to become like Christ or to help others become like Christ, any moves that we make toward maturity, whether we're leaders or laity, none of that is possible in our own power. So Paul goes on in Colossians 1.29 to remind us where the power to strive toward Christ-likeness comes from. Paul says, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. So Paul was constantly and strenuously contending for God's people. Paul made every effort to live for Christ, to preach Christ, to warn everyone, teach everyone, to pray for everyone to become like Christ. But he was not striving in his own strength. No, Paul says the energy to labor for Christ is the energy of God powerfully at work in his people. And what Paul's talking about here is another thing you see over and over in the scriptures, the synergy of the Christian life, the cooperation between us and God. We've got to work out what God's power works in us. It's God's power at work in us that allows us to toil to the point of exhaustion in the work that God gives us to accomplish in the church. God's powerful grace is constantly re-energizing us to use the gifts that he gives us. He gives us those gifts to serve others, to live for him, to minister for him, and to strive to reach maturity in Christ. So that's God's goal for, his, for God's people. And that should be the focus of everything we do in the church. And all we do, we should be striving toward and pushing one another to become more like Christ. And all of that starts with understanding the most marvelous mystery. Paul talks about this mystery in Colossians 1, 25 through 26. And I see some of you looking like, is he just now getting into the sermon? Was that all the introduction? <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was a build-up to what we're going to talk about. <laughs> so Paul talks about this mystery in Colossians 1, 25 through 26. He says, I have become the church's servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. So God gifted Paul to serve the church by presenting the word of God in its fullness. And the word of God is the message of the gospel. In the gospel, the most marvelous mystery is revealed. It's a mystery that had been kept hidden from all past generations. It's, but it's a, now, it's a mystery that is now revealed to God's saints in the church. What is this mystery? Well, Paul tells us in Colossians 1.27. He says, To God's saints, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, when Jesus came in the first century, God's people were eagerly anticipating the Messiah, the coming of Christ, the coming of the Messiah. And they expected him to be a conquering king, a military man who would rid the Jewish people of their oppressive Gentile enemies. And there are Old Testament prophets who predicted that something like this would happen. But God's people did, did not and could not understand a key piece of all those prophecies. 
It was hidden from them. So when we read through the scriptures and say, why did those people reject Jesus? Why did you? Well, they did it because they didn't know what they were doing. They had no clue who Jesus was or why Jesus came, which we're going to talk about now. They were not expecting a suffering servant Messiah. They weren't expecting, <laughs> they were expecting someone who would, save, who would save the Jewish nation, but they didn't understand that Jesus came not only to save those who are Jewish, but he came to save a people from every nation. And he, he didn't do that for, let me start again. He did that not because he was trying to save them from the earthly enemies, but he came to save every nation from humanity's real enemies. That's what n- nobody really understood. See, nobody understood that God's Messiah would be God's son, the divine son of God in human form. Nobody understood that God's son would save humanity from sin, Satan, and death by uniting his divine nature to human nature, by killing off the old humanity through the cross, and by creating a new humanity in himself through his resurrection. And nobody expected that all people from every nation could be united to God and to one another in one body of Christ in the, in the church of the living God. Nobody expected any of that. And that's the mystery that had been kept hidden but is now revealed in Christ. The church is the mystery that nobody saw coming. But Paul explains this mystery further in Ephesians 3, 4 through 6. He says, in reading this, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ. The mystery of Christ that has been revealed to the apostles and prophets in the gospel is all people from all nations can share in the promises that God gave to Israel by becoming a part of the church. So in the church, all nations can be fellow heirs and partakers of the same kingdom, the same promises, the same blessings that God promised his chosen race through Abraham. In other words, God's plans for Israel and the promises he gave to Abraham to bless all nations through Abraham's offspring are now being fulfilled through Christ's body in the church. Now, this is probably a good time to say being in Christ and being in the church mean the same thing. When you read through Paul's letters, you see that language over and over, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. What does that mean? Being in Christ means we're a part of the church. We're in the church. The church is Christ's body. So to be in the church is to be in Christ. And in this relationship where Christ is in us and where we're in him in the church, we have the hope of sharing in Christ's glory. In the church, we experience the mystery of Christ where a reborn and recreated humanity are being reshaped into the image of God as we become like Christ. In the church, we, we can be changed from one degree of glory to another until we perfectly reflect the image of God. Paul describes this in Colossians 3, 9 through 11, where he says, do not lie to each other, that you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, Barian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. 
in the church, the old self is put off. And the new self is put on when we're united to Christ in the waters of holy baptism. The old self is the old humanity. The new self is the new humanity that's been recreated in the image of God. And this is what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians 5.17 when he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, listen, if anyone is in Christ, in the church, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. In the church, the old humanity is gone. and We become a part of the new humanity. And notice Paul's description of this new humanity in Galatians 3, 26 through 28. Paul says, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So when we're baptized into Christ, we become children of God. We're born again through water and the Spirit, and we're united in one body, which is the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, our ethnicity, our gender, or our social status do not matter. In the church, we're all a part of the same family. In Romans 10, 12, Paul says, In that family, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Now listen, in Christ, men are still men, women are still women, White folks are still white. Black folks are still black. But in Christ, those distinctions no longer matter. They don't mean anything. Our diversity should no longer divide us because we're all united in the one body of Christ. And in the one body of Christ, we're equally loved, equally cherished, and equally valuable members of that body. In the church, we're all united to Christ, and we're all united to one another in Christ. In the church, we all have the same hope of sharing in Christ's glory as part of the new creation. And that's the message, sorry, that's, yeah, that's the message of the most marvelous mystery that's ever been revealed to humanity. So we're going to close here. And as we do, let me say this, that's a message that needs to be taught and heard loud and clear in the church right now. We leave so much of what God has promised us on the table And we never mention it because we're so focused on skipping out of hell and getting to heaven when we die, right? That's all we ever talk about. But that's not at all what God has planned for us. God's big plan for us is to make us like him in the church where we become like him. We become holy. We become righteous. We become faithful just like Jesus was. And that message needs to become the focus of the church if we're ever going to reach God's goal for us in Christ. In Christ, we're a part of the new humanity a humanity that is intimately connected to God and to one another in the one body of Christ in the church. When we're born again and baptized by one spirit into Christ's body, Christ in us, listen to this, changes our nature. He changes us from what we were to what we can become in Christ. God pours his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, and we become one united people. We have the same God. We have the same goals. We have the same hope of glory. In the church, when we're clothed with Christ, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all one in Christ. 
Christ is all, and Christ is in all. When we become a part of the church, we enter a new world, a world where we're supposed to live a completely different life in Christ. Our identity changes. Our view of other people changes. Our purpose for living changes. In the church, the glorious riches of God's life-changing grace are bestowed equally on all who call on him. In the church, Christ in us and among us unites us and transforms us. All with the goal of making us completely Christ-like. Until we all reflect the perfect image of God's Son. That's a message that the church desperately needs not only to hear, but to be speaking to the world. But the world doesn't see that from the church now, do they? They don't see a united people. They see us as divided and dividing even more every day. And I say all this to say we need to get back to the scriptures, what the scriptures say about salvation, what the scriptures say about the church. And if we do that, then we'll become a part of the real church that actually changes people, where people see a new creation in us. We're not divided over things that divide the world. We're one in Christ with the same goals, the same God, headed towards the same glory. That's the most marvelous mystery that's revealed to us in Christ in the church. And that's something that we need to focus on every single day. Let's focus on that, and let's ask God to give us the grace to live out the message that we just heard today. Let's all stand for prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for this most marvelous mystery that you've revealed to us in Christ. This mystery that through our union with Christ, we become a part of a new creation who can share in Christ's glory. Lord, give us the grace to understand and live in this truth. Help us to do that today and always. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to speak the Lord's blessing over you all. Before I do that, I just want to say, if you want to pray about anything, you're welcome to come forward. There'll be people up here to pray for you. If you don't know what it means to be a part of this uh, the church that I've been talking about today, somebody will be available to talk to you about that as well. If there's anything that I said is confusing to you or whatever it is, I'm always available to answer your questions. I want to make sure that people understand what they're getting themselves into when they become a part of the church. And if for some reason you don't know that, then I'm here to answer questions because that's what this thing is all about, right? We're all here to become a part of Christ's body, to become what God wants us to be in Christ. So they're going to sing this uh, final song. Before they, they sing, I'm going to uh, speak the blessing over you all. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen.
Precious Jesus.